All right. Well, good morning. Open up into Romans. Romans chapter 1. I'm going to move on from uh, the power of the gospel. Not really moving on from it, but we're adding uh, to that uh, what we've been learning about the gospel and learning about God's message to us through His His Word in Romans, Romans chapter 1. I really look forward to uh, next week, uh, Father's Day. It's a great time to... Uh, one of the things about Mother's Day and Father's Day is it's kind of family time, and we're going to spend time doing that as a church family uh, next week. I'm going to give you a heads up, too. Uh, what next week's message title is. Next week's message, Father's Day title is, Man is Without Excuse. And all you wives said, I knew it. So, <laughs> but uh, you'll have to stay tuned to see what that really means as we talk about man is without excuse next week. And it'll be a, a good time as we uh, spend a little less time, but we'll be focusing on God's Word Next week, we spend time of fellowship together, and it'll be a wonderful, wonderful opportunity. This morning, we're going to be talking about uh, the reality of God's wrath, something that uh, is not talked about very often, but should be talked about more. It really shows how powerful God's uh, gospel is. It lends credibility to God's gospel. It lends urgency to God's gospel. In fact, that's why Paul says, I'm a slave to Christ in verse 1 of Romans 1, uh, verse 1 of chapter 1. But it also says that he was set apart for God's gospel. And he also calls it the gospel of uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's important to see that he's not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God. God's gospel is powerful. And if God's gospel is powerful, then we want to know what that gospel is. We don't want it to be tainted or changed or removed. And why is it so powerful? Because of our salvation, what it does eternally for us. It changes us now and forevermore. It provides something that we can never do for ourselves. It gives us righteousness or God's righteousness. It makes us right in God's eyes, not just by anyone's standards, but by God's standard and his standard alone. Why is that so important? And that is what we're going to talk about today is looking at the reality of God's wrath. What does it really mean? What is the definition of God's wrath? And why do so many people do not like the gospel? And why do not uh, do they not like when to talk about God's wrath? And why is it so, uh, uh, what do you got? Pasana Nagrata. <laughs> Nobody wants to talk about it. And why people steer away from uh, the anger of God or the wrath of God. And so we're going to look at that uh, this morning. Well, let's pray and let's read our text this morning that we're going to look at for the next three weeks. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word and that it is perfect. Even those things that are hard for us to hear, it is perfect, Lord, because you are perfect. Therefore, your word is perfect. That's why your gospel is perfect. Lord, your work is perfect in our life. That's why you are 
sufficient. Your word is sufficient for all things that we need for life and godliness. And so, Lord, I pray that we would learn this morning uh, about this subject that many do not talk about, that we would fully understand it, not because of my good teaching, Lord, but because of what your word says, that your spirit would teach us and guide us to your truth, the truth of your word that magnifies the gospel of Christ. So, Lord, help us in this understanding today. We need your leading and guiding so we do not minimize your wrath or we do not make it into something that it is not. So, Lord, help us not to understand this from human eyes, but, Lord, from your, um, your attribute, from who you are, from your perfection, from your holiness. So, Lord, teach us now, I pray, as we read your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 18, it tells us about the wrath of God, and it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, unrighteousness of men who supplants supplants the truth in unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, both his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and exchanging the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the likeness of corruptible man, and of the birds, and four-footed animals, and crawling creatures. Therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts and impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. The wrath of God is revealed One of the amazing things about the gospel that it reveals not only our salvation and God's righteousness, but it reveals God's wrath. We understand more what does it mean that God is wrath, that he has wrath. The shorter catechism in question number 84, uh, the old Winsminster catechism that they used to teach to help understand who God is, says this, What does every sin deserve? Or what does every sinner deserve? And the answer is very simple. Every sin deserves God's wrath and curse, both in life and that which is to come. That is a statement that most people hate or don't want to hear. The world would say, well, that's not my God. And it's very interesting because when we hear things that we don't like from a human perspective and a human thought, we very often change who God is and we make God who we want God to be. And we say, well, if my sin incurs God's wrath, then that's not my God and I'm going to change who God is. And very often you will say, well, my God is a God of love. My God loves. 
And that is not entirely wrong that God is love, but because God is love, God also defines love. And part of God's definition of love is the fact that God is wrath. It's amazing as we look at the Bible, and if you ever look in your concordance or you do a search of God's wrath or God's anger, a study of your concordance would very quickly show you that there are more verses and more words that deal with God's anger and wrath than deal with God's love and kindness. Isn't that interesting? Well, let's think about this. If you were going to warn somebody about a consequence that's going to happen, are you going to spend more talk, more time talking about something that will happen after the consequence is taken care of? Or are you going to spend more time talking about the consequence and the danger that you are in? Well, the Bible does that. It talks a lot about God's wrath, but yet we talk about it very little. Nahum, we know, what's interesting is, is you know that God sent Jonah, right, to Nineveh to save the Ninevites, to call them in repentance. And Jonah didn't want to go, so much so that he had to be swallowed by a great fish, right? You know, I remember playing, you know, the old Mario Brothers for the first time. And we stayed up all night so we could beat Mario Brothers. And at my, my really good friend's birthday party, we stayed up all night to beat it. And we got to that level where the great fish jumped out of the water as I was jumping across the blocks. And it swallowed me. And all my friends laughed hysterically because of I'm, I was known as the great fisherman. Because I went fishing all the time and I slew many fish. Only to be swallowed by a fish in a video game. That was the end of my video game career. I said, okay, I'm done. <laughs> And I went to sleep. But Nahum, right? And they're warning and he's saying, look, all of a sudden they went back to their sinful ways and they're incurring God's wrath. And he says, I am a jealous and an avenging God. The Lord. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries. He goes on to say in verse 3, he says, and the Lord will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. He goes on to say in verse 6, Who can endure the wrath of God or his burning anger? His wrath is poured out like fire and the rocks are broken up by him. God's wrath, when it is poured out, doesn't just burn up people, but it destroys. It just melts the rock away. Ask the prophets of Baal. When when Elisha goes, he calls down uh, God's fire And of course, you know, they, 400 plus prophets, they jump up and down, they cut themselves and and they're like, come on, you know, our God, you know, burn up this offering. And Elisha's over there saying, hey, where's your God? (laughs) Hey, maybe shout a little bit louder. Maybe cut yourself a little bit more. He's taunting them, right? And nothing happens. He says, come on, now pour all this water. And he completely devour, you know, devours the offering with water. He must have been living in Whatcom County. <laughs> All that water, right? And uh, we're sitting there, and, and he says, God, call down your wrath from heaven and burn up this offering. And God comes down in a pillar of fire, and even the rocks that made up 
you know, the, 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 the altar there was gone. The water, gone. The offering, gone. And then all the prophets, gone. God's wrath is a consuming fire. Isaiah says this in 13 verse 9 of, of Isaiah. He says, Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, cruel with uh, fury and burning with anger to make the land a desolation and he will exterminate its sinners from it. He says in Jeremiah 7.20, wonder why Jeremiah was known as the, you know, the weeping prophet. Nobody liked him. And it was partly, he's, he goes, God says, just say everything in my word. Don't turn from it. Just say what I say. And God's message was a message of wrath, of paying for their sin and being held accountable to their sin. And he says, behold, in verse 20 of Jeremiah 7, my anger and my wrath will be poured out on this place, O man, and on beast, and on the trees, and on the field, and on the fruits of the ground, and it will burn and not be quenched. John the Baptist in Matthew 3, he said this about God's wrath. He says, And his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor, and he will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Talking about the chaff, the people that don't know God. Romans chapter 2 and verse 5 Paul goes on, to continue, uh, goes on to say about God's wrath, because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation. Revelation 19, Christ talks about himself in verse 15, and from his mouth comes a sharp sword so that with it he may smite the nations and he will rule with them with a rod of iron and he will tread the winepress of his fierce wrath of God Almighty. He will stomp on all those that fight against him and have turned against him and have sinned against him, and it'll be like a winepress. Just God will be basically destroying all sin, just like a person steps on a grape. We know that it says that the, that the blood of all that defy God will will flow in the valley of Armageddon all the way up to the horse's bridle. It's going to be a bloody mess. Paul begins this presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ with the wrath, his wrath. It is true. It is coming. It is real. He presents several realities of his character, of his wrath. And it begins with the phrase, the wrath of God. So what is the wrath of God? Let's define it. What does it mean? There is a couple of different words that you can use for anger. And the definition that I'm going to share with you that comes straight from the word wrath is this. Wrath is this, a established nature. That means it's established, it's fixed. It's not something that just happens based on circumstances. 
it is based on some, some nature, right? It's not something that just spills out by happen chance. It's a nature, it's an established nature that is filled with passionate and hostile feeling towards all forms of sin. Lie, adultery, stealing, fornication. It doesn't matter what the sin is. It's going to incur all of God's wrath. There are two words that you can use for anger. One is thumos and one is orge. Thumos is what we understand is not a very good anger. It's a spilling out anger. It's like the idea of a passion or it's a rising and it subsides quickly and it arrives quickly. It's like being so angry you lash out at somebody. Maybe you've been on the, the, uh, the end of that where somebody is so angry they just start lashing out at you. You get a tongue lashing. So much so that they spit in your face, right? Not because they're trying to spit, but they're so angry that they you know, just spill out their anger that's in their heart. Then there's orge, which means this idea of passionate anger that's arising, um, the idea that it arises from something that is settled, determined from some real indignation. It's different than thumos. And the word here in verse 18 for the wrath of God is dealing with this momentary emotional um, this, not, I'm sorry, not momentary, but this passionate anger that's rising from a fixed nature. That's what this wrath is. It's different. It's not momentary. It's not emotional. It's not uncontrolled like thumos. And that's why so many people don't like or they steer away from and they say, well, this is not my God. My God cannot be wrathful. Because when they think of God's wrath, they define it thinking about some passion that's just momentary, that's just out of control. And they say, well, God's not out of control, so he can't be wrathful, but he is wrathful. And it's important because if we don't understand that God's wrath is real, then we give out an incomplete gospel. Scripture, wow, I whistled. Scripture, <laughs> hell, I hurt my ears. Scripture paints an absolutely fearful and horrifying picture of God's wrath. Hebrews 10.31, it says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God, a wrathful God, an angry God, not Thumas, but Orge. So here are some characteristics, or here's the reality of God's wrath, and that is that the wrath of God is based on the characteristic of God, or we want to look at the characteristic of God's wrath, and that is this, simply that God's wrath is connected to his holiness. It's like this, is that for God to be 100%, if God is 100% holy, if he's perfect, if he's without error, then he is, he is repelled or he hates, he is not specifically repelled by error, but he repels all error. 
This is the idea is, is that his holiness dictates his wrath. Whereas we, when we get angry, our incomplete, sinful motion, emotion often dictates our anger. Whereas God isn't dictated by an emotional anger that's just momentary, but it is defined by his holiness. That's why God's wrath is perfect. That's also why he's the perfect judge. That's also why he is, dispenses perfect justice. His holiness demands that he does not tolerate sin. He cannot tolerate sin. God's anger is not irrational rage. It is true and based on his holiness. God could not be holy and not be angry at evil. Holiness cannot tolerate unholiness. It's like a magnet, right? He, it, his holiness repels unholiness. Uh, Hebrews 1, 8 through 9, it says, But of the Son, he says, O throne of God is forever and ever. The the specter of uprightness is the the scepter of your kingdom. And you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your, your God has anointed you and the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Did you notice that? That your uprightness is the ruler of your kingdom and you have loved righteousness and you have hated wickedness. It's completely opposite. He absolutely loves his holiness, his righteousness. And in that same aspect, he absolutely hates wickedness. That's why God's wrath is revealed in his justice. Because he executes his, just, his justice out of his holiness. He executes his wrath out of his holiness. That's the characteristic of his wrath. And that's why so many people hate God's wrath. Because they get it confused with an earthly wisdom versus the character of God's holiness. The second thing we want to look at is the timing of God's wrath, and that is this, is that God's wrath is continually being revealed. Did you notice that it says here that for the wrath of God is revealed? The wrath of God isn't just something that's going to happen when he returns, that it is continually being revealed. It's being, the more that the gospel is preached, the more we see God's wrath revealed. The more we live our life as a believer, the more we see God's wrath being revealed. We've seen it being revealed from the day of creation, from the fall of man. We've seen God's wrath in the flood. We've seen God's wrath with Sodom and Gomorrah being poured out on them because of their unrighteousness, their ungodliness. We've seen it in the plagues in Egypt. We've seen it at the cross. The cross is by far the greatest example of God's wrath being poured out. When we say that God, the, the gospel is free, 
Yes, it's free in the, in the fact that we do nothing to earn it, but it was not free. It cost Christ everything. He experienced all of God's wrath. That was meant for you and I. John MacArthur puts it this way. He says, By far the surpassing revelation of God's wrath was... was that placed upon his own son on the cross when Jesus took to himself the sin of the world and bore the full divine force of God's fury and its penalty God of God hating sin so deeply and requires its penalty so that it, he allowed his perfect beloved son to be put to death as the only means by which fallen mankind might be redeemed from its curse of sin. That's why Isaiah 53 says this in verses 4 through 6, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement for our peace was placed upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we are like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. God's wrath. Not only is God's wrath continually being revealed, and you say, well, I see people sinning all the time, and they don't look like they're experiencing God's wrath. Well, it's true that there are consequences for our sin. Sometimes there's quick consequences, like, you know, blowing through, you know, not paying attention and blowing through a stop sign, right? Or you might run into somebody. Or breaking the speed limit, and then when you have to stop, not being able to stop and running into somebody. I just did that recently. <laughs> yeah, there, are, there are consequences that we face every single day for our life. Just like if we, we choose to get drunk and, and, or we choose to take drugs and, and we face immediate consequences sometimes to those sins. But sometimes we see people that don't. And Romans chapter 2 and in verse 5 through 11, we see that it says in verse 5, it says, But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. It's a different verb. It's a, it's a future verb. And the idea here is, is this illustration that God has given us is, is that there's this river and, and God has dammed it up, but it's going to spill over and the full effect of that river will be felt one day. Just because some people aren't getting the, are experiencing the wrath of God now doesn't mean they will not one day experience it. It's like a dam that breaks and just, you've seen water. Water isn't a powerful thing. One day, you know, it's just amazing how it just destroys things, completely wiping away so many things. That's, have you seen those? Uh, they have cutters where they compress water and they shoot it 
very uh, fast and hard under great pressure. And it's so much pressure. It's like when they work with the steam vents uh, out at the power plants and the water shoots through a, uh, through a seal. It's under so much pressure. When it shoots out, it can cut off hands and arms and fingers right through bones. It is powerful. And one day, God is going to have enough and all of his wrath is just going to pour out. And it's just going to lay waste to everything. The timing of it is, is that, yeah, it's continually being revealed, but one day it will fully be revealed. As it's being stored up behind a dam. God is gracious. We hear that, that God, God is holding back uh, and he's giving time for people to respond He doesn't want people to face all of his wrath. And he's giving them time, but he knows that people will reject him. And one day, all of God's wrath will be let loose. Praise be the Lord that we have a gospel that is so powerful that Christ took all of that wrath in our place. It's interesting, we learn more from this verse about the extent of the, or the source of God's wrath. We look at the, the reality of God's wrath as this, that the source is from heaven. Did you notice that the third part of this verse, it says, for the wrath of God is revealed, continually being revealed, and it comes from heaven. That's why it's a perfect wrath. It's not an earthly wrath. It's not a wrath that's controlled by human thought. It's not a wrath, by the way, that's controlled by human good. That's why there's none righteous, no, not one. There is none who really seek honestly after God's holiness. God's wrath is revealed from heaven. It is based on heaven. It's based on where God is. It's based on His character, His rights, His authority. Despite Satan's present power as prince and heir of this world, the earth is ultimately dominated by heaven, by the throne of God. Isaiah 57.15 calls heaven the high and holy place Verse 15 of Isaiah 63 says that holy and it is God's holy and glorious habitation. In Isaiah 66, verse 1, that heaven is God's throne and my earth is its footstool. It, the earth is where God will dispense his righteous justice, the earth is his footstool. He is the judge of the earth. Psalm 94, verses 1 through 2. It says, O Lord God, to whom vengeance belongs, O God, to whom vengeance belongs, shine forth, rise up, O judge of the earth, render punishment to the proud. Same thing in Psalm 96, and so on and so on. It's God's and God's alone. It's not for us to change the terms It's not for us to redefine. The source is solely belongs to God. 
Now to the extent, and that is this, the scope of God's wrath, the scope or the extent of God's wrath. For the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. It's God's wrath is universal. It's to all. That's all is all that all means and that's all that all can mean. It's all. It's everything. It encompasses everyone and everything. God is not impartial. He will not take vengeance against just anyone. He takes vengeance and he pours out his wrath on all ungodliness and unrighteousness. God's wrath is continually revealed for all. Ungodliness, by the way, means irreverent. When we hear the term ungodly, it means being irreverent towards God. Whereas unrighteousness usually in the Bible means being irreverent or uh, sinning against people. It's amazing. So God's saying that he is going to pour out his wrath on everyone that's irreverent towards God. That is, um, is all wickedness towards him. Everyone that chooses to do their own thing rather than to follow him. It's all of that, that neglect, that violate their duty to follow God. Simply it refers to the lack of reverence and devotion and worship of God. Jude 14 uses this, uh, 14 through four different times. Listen to God's wrath dealing with ungodliness. Verse 14, it says, It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that the ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Wow, he wanted to get his point across, didn't he? The use of ungodly there in those verses is, is amazing. Look at verse 16. He goes, These are the grumblers, the malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loud mouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. Talking about many people today. And then there's the unrighteousness, which is the injustice and wrongdoing towards man. Sin first attacks God, and then God's law in God's righteousness, and then eventually, after we attack God and God's law, we attack each other. Sin is the very thing that God hates. God's wrath is real. As we look at these realities of God's wrath, you got to ask yourself, what are you more afraid of? Not having enough money? Or not being right with God? Because wrath is real. Are you more afraid of somebody being offended by the gospel? Or God's wrath being poured out upon that person? 
What are you afraid of? We read it earlier, Hebrews 10.31. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. What are we afraid of? Many times we let the fear of the things of this world drive us to the point where we are no longer afraid of God. Jude talks about, in verse 16, these are the grumblers, the malcontents, following after their own sinful desires. They're more afraid of losing out on things in life and they're less afraid about who they deeply offend by their sinfulness. Many times, that fear of the things in the world keeps us from knowing and understanding God. If we really understand how wrathful God truly is and how much he hates sin, we would look at our lives a lot differently. Romans 3 and verse 12 says this, All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. Their venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of uh, cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their path are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. One of the most amazing aspects is when we understand the wrath of God, the whole scope and reality of the wrath of God, we run to the gospel because we understand how powerful it is. God isn't, just like Rob said, God isn't good just because he's loving. He's good because of he is holy and because he is also wrathful against sin because it makes him a righteous judge the right judge. He is perfect. He is holy. And out of that holiness comes his wrath. It's interesting that you notice this when they, it says in verse 18, it says in Romans 3, it says, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Why do we live in a world that we have? Why did we have the shootings at schools it has nothing to do with guns. It has nothing to do with how well they can open and close doors. You, you, there's always a bigger gun. Doors don't... It's because we live in a fallen world that they, everybody does what's right in their own eyes. They don't fear God. And because they don't fear God, you notice in verse 17 it says, and the way of peace has not known they have not known. The world doesn't know peace. It can't. They're, they're quick to shed blood. They're quick to hurt each other. They're quick to tear each other down. They, they do all of these things because they don't fear God. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 14, 27 says, As the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, that one may turn away from the snares of death. When we truly understand the scope, the whole 
breadth and width of God's wrath, we run to him. And we realize how powerful his salvation truly is. We understand how powerful God's work on the cross truly is. And we understand the peace that we truly can have. We have peace that no one else can experience because we're no longer under that wrath. It's no wonder our world is hurting. It's no wonder our world is continually trying to justify their actions. Hebrews 11, verse 7, it says, By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning the events yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed the ark for the saving of his household. Do you understand that everybody that is turning to their own way, everybody that is not turned to the Lord and given their life to Christ, everyone that is outside this building that has not put their faith and trust in Christ is under God's wrath. And yet we still struggle to just talk to them about who God is. How come? Noah built an ark so he could save his family, not knowing what rain even was. But he knew God's wrath was coming. You know, we talk about the rain, right, all the time. But you know, the emphasis was not on the rain. It's God's wrath being poured out. It, it destroyed this world. We have the continents we have. We have the Grand Canyon. You ever tried to jump across the Grand Canyon? You know the narrowest point is four miles? I mean, you could be the best jumper in the world and still miss it by three miles and minus 25 feet. <laughs> I think the record's like 28 feet something. It was the longest... I was excited to jump 23 feet. <laughs> but here's the thing. You're still going to fall short. That's why we need the cross. That's why we need Christ. The world has no hope. Believer, churchgoer, family, if you are choosing to be tempted by sin in your life, you're choosing to either live a life of anger, choosing to live a life of pursuing other things and, and put, making them more important than God, you are still going to face the consequences of sin. You're, you may not be under God's eternal wrath. You may still be going to heaven, but you, are, you may wonder, why don't I have peace? Why am I struggling? Why is there so much hardship? Ask the question, what right now is more important in your life than God? Maybe you don't even realize it. God's wrath sets the whole tone. Just ask the Denver Broncos when they lost the Super Bowl. You know what I'm talking about. They were the number one. They set all the offensive records to this date. No one's ever had an offense like them. Greatest offense in the, all the history of the NFL until they met the Seahawks. And you know what was They had the number one defense. But what it really was is 
Cam Chancellor set the whole tone from the very first throw that Peyton Manning threw. He hit the receiver so hard that every single play after that, he thought about it. And they were horrible. It was the worst offensive ever, offensive showing by any offense in the history of the NFL. Guys, God's wrath sets the whole tone. It changes everything. If you keep the fear of God from your life, then your walk is going to be miserable. The gospel is going to be powerless. People are going to hell and they're going to face this wrath head on. For eternity. They need the gospel. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. How's your walk with God? Fear God. Keep His commandments for that's the whole duty of man. Don't underestimate. Don't minimize God's wrath. It is more ferocious than any of us realize. More than I realize. The more I study it, the more it scares me to death. The more it scares me to death, the more I change my walk. The more I change my walk, the more I realize God is good. His way is right. I enjoy. Even in the midst of great sorrow, I can have great joy because of the peace that surpasses all understanding through Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this message that you give us. You explain to us this wrath that is to come, this wrath that is being revealed every day on sin. We see the effects of it being played out in our, in our world every single day. Every day we wake up, we look at the news to heartache and pain and suffering. Realizing that man has lived for thousands of years and never been able to change it. But just as great as your wrath is, so great is your salvation. May we not omit your wrath from the gospel that realized that that was the whole reason that you died on the cross and were obedient to death, that Jesus, you paid the ultimate price that we might live and have a life that is abundant and full, that's peaceful, even in the midst of turmoil. Help us, Lord, I pray, to be that way, to acknowledge you. And as we acknowledge you, that we would let you make our paths straight rather than acknowledging this world. Lord, help us to convey that message that we need a Savior to pay, that we need someone to take that wrath Lord, I pray that if anyone has not given their life to you, that they realize that 
that they're not saved, that they, they, they are under wrath, that they didn't realize that they needed a Savior and that Jesus is that Savior because he was the only one who could perfectly take your wrath and live. That they would give their life to you today. They would call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. That they wouldn't just know about Jesus, but that they would know you and that they would have that relationship, that they would know that they have a loving Savior that provides peace between them and God. And that today they would be the day of their salvation, that they would cry out to you, that there's no other name by which we can be saved than Christ Jesus our Lord. That is why Paul was not ashamed of the gospel. Lord, may that be why we are not ashamed of the gospel and we magnify you in our church family. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.